Well, good morning, church. Welcome to 2016, huh? There's a few of you excited. I see Kim over there. Uh, It's all right. You can let it out. Uh, Great. Hopefully your 2016 is off to a great start and uh, having a good time already as you celebrated the year already, probably with family and friends and many good things. So welcome uh, today. Want to say a huge thank you to Andy and the band there. Andy's, yeah, definitely struggling with cold, but did an awesome job. So tell those guys, yeah, give it up for them. Also, if you see Pastor Jason around today, it was his birthday yesterday, so maybe go and do a girl scream for him or something like that. He'd really appreciate it. So uh, grab him and uh, say hello and uh, congratulate him. As well today, this is kind of a big day. This is the first weekend for our new children's pastor, Pastor Josh. And so him and Pastor Nick are over with the kids and uh, Echo's underway over there. And so kiddos, if you didn't realize they're going, they're going there. And uh, great time over in Echo today. In fact, after, you know, last weekend's message with the candy throwing out and wearing garbage bags and suitcases, I'm going to just be boring, Okay. So, if anybody wants to go to Echo, I totally understand. Uh, And uh, go over there and maybe they'll throw you some candy. But as we're starting a new year, we're starting a new series. And uh, when Pastor Errol shared his idea of this new series, On the Brink, uh, I think all of us as as a staff just kind of said, you know what? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Uh, the, the idea of this series is just realizing that we're all on the brink of something. Uh, those good, the the, the rec- recognition that all of us are at the crossroads of moments in our life. Some we recognize and we can see coming down the road ahead of us. Others are going to take us totally by surprise. And how do we face those crossroad moments in life? Some of you, 2016, you're on the brink of amazing success and victories that you don't even know about yet, and you're going to just be blown away, and a year from now, you're going to be going, ah, it was awesome, okay? Others of you, a year from now, come back and go, I had no idea that life was going to hurt so bad this year. We're all on the brink. Now, it would be so cool if we could all just capture a dock and a DeLorean and take off into the future. It would be so cool just to be able to go ahead and see, that's what 2016 is going to look like for me. Now I know how to plan and get ready. But I don't know about you, the longer I live, the more I'm kind of glad God doesn't give me my dock and DeLorean. If I actually saw what was ahead of me, I'd probably scream like a girl, okay? Imagine that. I mean, if this 2016 is going to be so amazing, and granted, my oldest daughter's getting married in 2016, so of course it's amazing. She's watching by stream. Hi, honey. Congratulations. But 2016, ah, it's going to be amazing. But if I saw all the amazing things that were going to happen in 2016, I probably couldn't sleep a wink. I'd be so anxious and so excited. And on the flip side, if I really saw some of the horror that might be awaiting me in the year ahead, 
my nerves would probably get the best of me. It is really cool that God doesn't give us our dock and our DeLorean. But he gives us the moment. And what does he tell us? He says, he'll take care of our tomorrows. This morning, as we get into this, like I said, every one of us are on the brink of something. And today, I'm just kind of introducing this series to you today. I'm kind of the promo. I'm the trailer. (laughs) I've never been a trailer. But um, I felt like a trailer after the holidays. But um, I get to be the trailer today to give you a glimpse into what does it mean to be on the brink of something in our lives. Our series is going to look at the, the person of David, King David from the Old Testament. And King David uh, lived an amazing life. He was that little shepherd boy that ended up killing the giant Goliath that nobody else could. He then served King Saul. He was a great musician. And then he had to run for his life. Then he became the greatest king of Israel. And then his own son tried to take him down. And he just got himself into all kinds of mischief and difficulty. And as we look at the life of David over these next several weeks, in fact, we're going to take this series right up to Easter time, it will be a time for us all to just contemplate what is, what is the moment that is ahead of me? And how am I going to deal with it? And how do I handle it? Do I handle it on my own or do I handle it with God in my, in my, in my life and trusting my life to him? Since we're going to be looking at David, I thought a good starting place uh, today would be to look at a book that was written by his son, Solomon. Solomon uh, became king after David eventually, but Solomon uh, was uh, the son of David, and he got to see firsthand what life was like with David. As well, Solomon went on to live his own life, which was just amazing. Became one of the wealthiest men ever to live. Man of power, man of wealth. Had everything he ever wanted. Did everything he could do. And he wraps up his synopsis of life in a book that we call Ecclesiastes. It's kind of a mouthful. Ecclesiastes. It simply means the teacher or the preacher. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. It's in the Old Testament. It's a book about in the midsection right after Psalm and Proverbs. And we're going to be hanging out there pretty much for the rest of the morning as we look at uh, some of the passages in this book. It's kind of an interesting book. It's not a book that you probably read that often or just sit down in your meditation and say, oh, okay, I want to read through Ecclesiastes today. The reason is, is because it's written in a genre uh, of the time Uh, back in the Far East and and Neo-Babylonian period where they wrote a genre of literature called pessimism. Pessimistic literature. Uh, And it really was literature that was very bleak. I mean, it's like probably not the book that you're going to get for, you know, kick your 2016 off in a great way. I'm going to go pick up a book that tells me I'm a dirtball. You know? Uh, But that was the kind of style that was hip at that time. To write in the style of just, woe is me, I'm Eeyore, you know, nothing's going right in my life, okay, type of thing. And uh, I just wanted to give you a little background on Ecclesiastes because it kind of sets the tone for what we're going to be reading here in just a few moments. Uh, a great commentator, uh, Michael Eaton, in his new Bible commentary, uh, has a couple great, great, great quotes, and I wanted to just hit a couple of them for you. He says, Ecclesiastes is pessimism with a difference. 
For other pessimist writers, writings were bleak, sensual, and unrelieved by any note of hope. But in the Dialogue of Pessimism, a Babylonian work of the 14th century, suicide is the only answer to the problem of life. So imagine reading a book and it's just pretty much, or reading a story and it's just pretty much telling you life is terrible, you know, it stinks, you're, you know, the only answer is check it out. Okay? That was what was being written at this time. And he said, it goes on, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the god Shamash states bluntly, the life you pursue you shall not find. Although Ecclesiastes echoes ancient pessimism, it has another strand which is in marked contrast, for it also holds forth the possibility of joy, faith, and assurance of God's goodness. And that's what we're going to see. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes very much like these other pessimistic writers, like, oh, life is terrible, life is crazy. In fact, his big word is life is, do you remember? Meaningless. Meaningless. You're like, boy, I really want to pick that up today. That's going to... Thanks, Pastor Brent. Really appreciate your help today. Um, but the reality is, as, as Eaton says, but Solomon puts a little twist on this. He doesn't just leave his readers in this blah, uh, hopeless situation, but he says, in fact, just in those last few verses, and we'll look at them later in chapter 12, Last few verses, he says, I figured out what the whole realm of what God has placed me here for, and that's to serve him. And, and so he does bring a positive hope in the midst of all this pessimism. Eaton has another quote coming up um, further down in his commentary uh, we'll look at next. And I just want to read the last part of that, the bold section there. He says, Ecclesiastes forbids both secularism, which is living as though the existence of God has no practical usefulness in the life of this world. And you'll see that if if you haven't read through Ecclesiastes yet in your life, you need to do that. It's only 12 chapters. Do that this year. Make that your week one resolution of 2016. I'm going to read through it this week, okay? Because it is an interesting read. But as you read through it, you find out he's forbidding this whole idea that God is nowhere, okay? That God is out of this world. He has no part in this. But he's also forbidding unrealistic optimism that expecting faith to cancel out life as it really is. And some of us as Christians, we can fall into that last section of expecting that, okay, I got the God card. Let me pull my God card. Now all my troubles are going to go away. It's not like that. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us a real vantage point of the reality of life that whether we're a follower of Christ or whether or not, we are going to face some of the struggles. We're going to be on the brinks of life, both the positive and the negative. And so how will we face them? And so I just give you that background because, it, like I said, Ecclesiastes is not one of our necessarily go-to books too often. But I wanted to give you a little background on on why Solomon was writing and the way in which he was writing. He was writing in a pessimistic way. All right? Kind of like some of the, you know, heavy metal songs. I want to die, I want to die, you know, type of thing. Uh, Solomon was a heavy, heavy hitter, okay? He was a rocker, man. Um, but he goes on to give a bright side in, in the end. So with Ecclesiastes, let me just turn, if you're there in the book of Ecclesiastes, turn to chapter 3. And I uh, want to just leave you with three thoughts today on, on what it means to be on the brink of life's moments ahead of us. In chapter 3, a very familiar passage, even if you're not an Ecclesiastes reader, 
by any means. You've heard this, these phrases in songs and in poetry. But chapter 3, verse 1, he says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I'll refrain from my dancing this morning just to keep it calm in here. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What we see in Solomon's writing there is a reminder that life is a smorgasbord. How many Scandahoovians in here this morning? All you Scandahoovians, yeah, all three of us. You know, if I was back in Minnesota, the whole church would have stood up and shouted, you know? <laughs> but in our Scandinavian way, smorgasbord, and you've got to kind of say it that way, smorgasbord, is, is what you city folk call buffet, buffet, okay? That's so proper. I like smorgasbord, all right? But if you've been to a smorgasbord, you will see a lineup of food that blows your mind away. As a kid, those were my favorite places to go because I wasn't having to eat what mom was pushing on me. I could eat whatever I wanted to eat, and I could the coolest thing, you can eat as much as you want. Now, as I've gotten older, buffets haven't seemed to be quite as appealing. But as a kid, I loved them. And on that smorgasbord, you could get the taters or you could get the rice. You could get the macaroni salad or the potato salad. Or you could just get it all. It was awesome. Life is a lot like that. Life is a smorgasbord. You get it all. And in different ways, our life, even in this year upcoming, is going to have moments of a time for various things. As Solomon writes, he says, there will be times of weeping and mourning, and there will be times of dancing. And I would imagine in 2016, you're going to have those times. There's a time for everything. There's a time to speak, and there's a time to walk away. There's a time for everything. There's a time that God gives us in, in all kinds of ways. In fact, there's a time to be a bear fan. Okay? But then we all know there's a time to be a Viking fan. And that time is now. Okay? That time is now. Well, I, I tried to look up in Scripture if there was a time to be a Packer fan, and I didn't find it. So, so I, I don't know. I, I stay strict to God's Word, and if I don't see it, I... But let's be honest, there's a time to put the sandals on and put our feet in the sand. Some of you have been going to warm places, and it's caused me to sin because I'm envious. Okay? I spent my week in Minnesota, which was awesome in the snow, because then there's a time for the boots. 
See, life is full of a variety of different things. There's a time for everything. The, the Hebrew word that's used for time here, uh, Solomon uses, is just a short, in fact, it's just two letters. It's just the term et, et. And, and, and that term speaks not so much of our time like we are in Western culture where it's, you know, da, 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 you know. Right now, it's 10.14. Hey, and by the way, I'm going to have you out early today, okay? Just so you know, don't, don't start shouting yet, but we're going to have you out early today, and so I'm trying to root for Pastor of the Year Award. Um, <laughs> but in our Western time set, we've, you know, our time's like this. Dun, dun, dun. But as the Hebrew word here, et, the, the time that he's speaking, is more of a season, an occasion. So as Solomon is writing here, he's saying, there is a season for everything. There's a time, there's an occasion for everything. However, unlike a buffet, I don't get to pick and choose what I get in life, always. And in 2016, there are things that, yep, you see coming down the road, you know this is going to happen, but there are going to be a lot of things you had no idea, and they are thrown on your plate. Kind of like the cafeteria lady. Here you go. Hey, I didn't want that. You get the beans anyhow. Okay? There are going to be things that come in our life. Part of the smorgasbord of life. Number two. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I will experience the whole smorgasbord of life. In chapter 9, verse 1. Solomon writes, he says, so I reflected on all this. And his reflection on all this is all of life. Uh, If I didn't mention already, I mean, this guy had everything. He tried everything. He studied everything. He was a student. He was a wise man. He, He played a lot. He did everything. He says, so I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise And what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. It says, whether you're righteous, whether you're wise, whether you've got it all together or not, life is going to face you with things that are both lovely and hateful. Too often, especially in recent years in the church, there's been this false teaching of this idea that, hey, you got the God card, you come to Jesus, he's got your back, you're blessed in all ways, you don't have to worry anymore, you're never going to get sick again, you're going to have more money than you know what to do with, and if something happens and you don't have enough money, or if you do get sick, you're not really close enough to God because something's wrong with your faith, and you got to get all that together. Let me tell you, in the wonderful Greek word, that's a bunch of hogwash. Because the truth of Scripture reminds us And Jesus said it so well that it rains on the just and on the unjust. You think just because you got Christ in your back pocket, or I should say he's got you in his back pocket, that all of a sudden you're never going to have a rainy day when it starts pouring in Manuka, you're standing out in the sunshine of your driveway while all the neighbors are getting poured on? No. In fact, Jesus told us all, he said, in this world you're going to have what? Trouble. All right, let's say amen and go home on that one, okay? Probably not. But you know what Jesus goes on to say? 
But he says, I have overcome this world. Even the trouble that you're on the brink of facing right now, God says, I've got this. So even though I'm a follower of Christ, I'm not exempt from what the future holds for my life, good, bad, and the ugly. I'm going to experience that smorgasbord. I'm going to have that lunch lady plop some stuff on my plate this, this year that I'm not going to be too happy with. But that's okay. Because God's got this. We are called to trust Him. I, I love the old, old hymn phrase uh, Ira Stanfield written several years ago back in the 50s. Uh, I know who holds tomorrow. He says, many things about tomorrow I don't need to understand, for I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. As you and I stand on the brink of not knowing what lies ahead, we don't stand alone. We don't stand alone. And the third point is there, when on the brink of life's next smorgasbord selection, trust God. Trust God. Like I said, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is waning on in this pessimistic way of writing and just saying, you know, life is terror, life, this and that. Nothing really has any meaning. Nothing is really purposeful. It just kind of all is a blur. You know, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you all end up in the same place. And it's just, ugh. But he doesn't end it there. He wraps up his book in the last few verses in chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, make sure you're open up there. We'll start in verse 8 just to give us, give us the context. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. He uses that exclamation point on all that. It's meaningless, it's meaningless. Then a little commentary. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. In a sense, I could keep writing and writing all the things I've learned, all the knowledge I've attained. He says there's no end in making books, and much study wearies the body. How many students out there feel the weariness of study? Yeah, amen to that. But here he wraps it up. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. After looking through everything of life and being cynical in his approach that life is all meaningless, he comes to bring the one little nugget of wise counsel that we all need to hear, and especially in our day and age in which we live. He reassures us that God is in control. God's in control. But the sobering thing is to realize that God's control remains a mystery for us. How is God going to get me through 2016? What is he going to bring me through? How am I going to survive? What is going to be the next step that God brings me to? It's a mystery. 
But the reality is God knows what your next steps are. Look at Proverbs. Solomon writes these amazing words in, Solomon, in Proverbs 20. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? He says, our steps are ordered by the Lord. God knows where our feet are going to be planted next. He knows the situation we're going to be facing next. And I love the rhetorical question. How then can anyone understand their own way? How many of us try to do it our own way? How many of us try to understand, okay, this is happening because this is going to work out this way. This is going to happen that way. This is what's leading to this point. And I, I got my life figured out. I know why it's happening. And then it all gets all mixed up. And I go, ah! Why? Because a person's steps are not directed by themselves. They're directed by the Lord when we trust Him with our lives. That's why also earlier in Proverbs, you know, I use this verse often because it, it just is powerful. It's, it's really a way to live life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. How come, do I, how come should I trust the Lord? Because He's got my steps ordered. I can trust God with my tomorrows. I can trust God with 2016. I can even trust God when I'm on the moments of being on the brink of things I can't comprehend and I have no answers to. God's still there. We can trust God when we're on the brink. Let's be honest, some of us sitting here this morning, we are already on the brink. Things in our lives that have hit us Struggles that we're facing. Decisions that need to be made that are beyond us and we're not sure what to do. Let me encourage you, trust God. Trust God. So if this is all true, how should I live then? Let me just leave you with a few simple examples. I need to live as a God-praiser, not a self-praiser. I need to live as a God-praiser, not a self-praiser. You know, I, I love football. How many watched that TCU game last night? That was probably one of the best football games I've ever watched in a long time, except my Vikings every week. But, um, but you, you hear these commentators just going on and on about the talents of these young men and all these different things. And, and granted, amazing talent. But they're praising the creation rather than the creator. And too often we do the same in our life. We're praising ourselves. We get up, we do something even good for God, and we pat ourselves on the back and go, good boy, good job. But then when we face our next brink, we're shaking in our boots. We need to be God praisers rather than self praisers. And I don't mean you have the worship music blared full blast when you wake up and start dancing in the morning praising God. If you want, go ahead. Give it a try. It might wake us up a little more than the coffee. But what I'm talking about is an attitude of praise for God. No matter the brink I am on. No matter where I'm at. The old gospel uh, music team, the Imperials, had that song, you know, Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord. When we don't know what we're facing, we're to praise Him. 
and remind ourselves and those around us that he is the one that we are entrusting ourselves. And that leads us to the second thing. I need to be a God truster, not a self truster. Too often we can get very, very settled in our way of life and realizing, man, I can really accomplish quite a bit. I'm, I, I got this. We can trust in our bank accounts. We can trust in our health routine of exercise. We can trust in so many things. But everything of this world will evaporate one day. But God never will. I don't know what you're facing today and you've been trying to trust yourself, trying to trust your gut, trying to trust your own thinking, maybe even trying to trust your friends around you. Maybe it's time to just lean back and say, God, I put my trust in you today. Be a God truster, not a self truster. And then finally, as a contented Christ follower, I need to be trusting in God's best for me rather than my own best. For 2016, I wish us all great contentment. For 2016, I would love that contentment for me. I, I, you know, and if you could imagine 2016 in your own eyes, the best 2016 that could be, just think about that right now. What would it look like? What would happen in 2016? All those great plans that you might have. But what if those plans don't come about? What will happen to your contentment? What will happen to your peace? Paul the Apostle wrote in Philippians chapter 4 an incredible passage of Scripture. And if you want to flip over there, you sure can back in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4. And we'll kind of wrap ourselves up here. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul the Apostle speaking uh, to the Philippian church that's blessed him in many ways, has helped him in a lot of ways through some difficult times. And, and he's just responding them to them to re- remind them, you know, even in difficulty, uh, he's found contentment. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul had lived a life in the ups and downs, just like our lives. Maybe a little more drastic for him. Had great wealth, great power. Had given it all up to follow Christ. Ended up being shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead several times. I don't know about you, I don't know if I'd find very much contentment being left dead. Okay? But being left dead, being hungry, as well as other times having great amount to eat, having great wealth and having nothing, and he says, I've learned the contentment secret. It's not about the circumstances. It's not about the stuff. It's not about what I want. He says, contentment is found when I realize I can do anything God sets before me because I know I'm not doing it on my own. I'm doing it with the power of God surrounding me. Paul's contentment was not based on the situation, but on the one who was surrounding him in his situations, whether good, bad, or ugly. 
God knows what you are on the brink of in 2016. Some of you can see those images of different things that are looking ahead. Maybe you've got that opportunity of a new job opportunity. It's in the horizon. You're getting excited. Maybe there's that new relationship that looked like it might be blossoming into something. You're getting excited. Maybe your 2016 has already gotten kind of that pessimistic, bleak look of a job that's just hanging on by a thread or a relationship that seems to be going south. See, 2016, no matter what comes, God's got it. God's got it. No matter the brink you're on or whether you step on your water bottle, um, no matter the brink you're on, you're not standing on that brink alone. But as Jesus told his followers, he said, don't be afraid. I will be with you. What? Always. No matter what you are facing right now. And as a pastor, I get the great privilege to kind of know a little bit about several lives. And I know as I'm looking out over this audience today, some of the things you're facing, good, bad, and ugly. But you're not standing alone. The presence of Almighty God is with you. That's why Solomon wrote, I can trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understandings because I know God is directing my steps. But here's the other cool thing about being a part of a body like this, like NBC, is that when you're on the brink, you're not alone because you've got God and you've got a family that's got your back. Look around you. Some are looking at your back right now. They've got it. And that's the beauty of community and the following followers of Christ is that we don't do this life alone, but we do it with others. So whatever 2016 holds for you, God's there with you, and so's this church. And as a family, we know we're go- there's going to be great celebrations in this room in 2016. But there will also be some times of mourning. But God is in it all. Amen? This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to close out in prayer this morning. And as you stand, let me speak to you that are here today that you're like, boy, that sounds all cool, but my life stinks. I mean, that sounds nice, but... What's the cure? Well, the cure isn't that you get out of jail free card. The cure is you get a God that walks with you. And if you're here this morning and you haven't truly fully trusted in God, if you haven't truly given your life over to the power of Jesus Christ to revolutionize your life, today can be your day. And as well this morning, if you're here this morning and you're facing that edge today, that edge is something that's bigger than you and it's frustrating you and it's overwhelming you, I encourage you after our congregational prayer, I'm going to be down front. Pastor Errol, I think, can stay down front here. Others that would like to help with prayer, we'll just be down front here. And if you'd like someone to just pray with you this morning, we want to do that. Because like I said, we're in this together. And over the next several weeks, 
God's going to be speaking to us on different topics and in different ways to realize that no matter the brink that we are on, God's still there. Amen? Let's pray together. And I'd like you to do just this as a practical expression this morning, if you wouldn't mind. Just put your hands, your palms open to God this morning. And as we pray, just say, God, I'm yours this year. I'm committing myself to you this year. And God, I just want you to be with me no matter what. Lord, this morning, you see these hands laid before you today. Palms open to just say, God, we're yours. And really, God, we need you. And I pray, Lord, over this congregation today, this church family, that God, no matter what we're on the brink of, things we see and things we haven't even thought of, God, may we be reminded that you see all, you know all, and that our life is in your hands. And I pray today for every one of us that trust you with all of our heart, that God, this year, even as we're tested in many ways, even as that buffet sends things our way that we weren't looking for, that God will be reminded of this moment when we just said, God, I'm yours. Protect me, keep me, do with me as you want to. And Lord, I pray through all that we will be a testimony of your amazing grace and your power and your glory to a world that needs to see you. God, go with us today. Watch over us, protect us, guide us in you. And God, I pray for every one of us in this place, you would help us to come to a better knowledge and understanding of who you are each and every day. And may we surrender more and more of ourselves to you in those days as well. We give you ourselves, Lord. Take us, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great 2016.